0: Welcome to the Transcend Human Podcast. My name is Daryl McMullen, and this is a show where we discuss how we can rise above the human condition. We address topics that we all wrestle with because we're all human. And together we look for more positive ways to respond to the world around us. Thank you for joining us on the journey. We hope today's topic is exactly what you need for the week ahead. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Great to be with you another sunny Monday morning here in Southern California. It is August 16th, 2021. Uh, Later today, I will be driving up to uh, school for my oldest daughter, uh, helping her move back in. So there's that, Uh, a sure sign that summer is basically over, said and done with. Uh, She is going back, though, a little bit early. Uh, So she can help out with the new student orientation, freshman orientation week. So that's cool. But that means that she is out of our house sooner than we really would rather have her leave. It's been a lot of fun having her uh, home over the summer. Uh, And actually, she's been home for quite a while because of COVID. So it is good. It's good for her to get back to her normal routine, get back to school um, and get back to her life. So doing that later today. Uh, but today we are recording a podcast. So this is episode 75. Ah, just looking at that number, it's, it's still shocking to think that <laughs> I've done this 75 times. Uh, but here we are. So today, minute of transparency, I'm going to call the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill So, my wife came to me the other day and she said, Hey, have you heard of this podcast? Um, There's this podcast about this church called Mars Hill. It's some big church that had some problems and eventually had to close down. And it sounded somewhat familiar, um, but I was a little foggy on the details. So, she went on to explain how a friend of hers posted something on social media about this podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, uh, and that she had been listening to a few episodes to see what it was all about. Then, Over the next few weeks, it seemed like literally every person we talked to had either listened to it or had heard about it and wanted to listen to it. So at some point, I took the bait, uh, and I've listened to every episode available since then. Uh, It's a weekly podcast put out by the investigative team at Christianity Today, and uh, here's the elevator speech just so, you know, I'm not telling you what it's all about. I'll let them speak for themselves. So it says, founded in 1996, Seattle's Mars Hill Church was poised to be an influential, undeniable force in evangelicalism. That is, until its spiraling collapse in 2014. The church and its charismatic founder, Mark Driscoll, had a promising start, but the perils of power, conflict, and Christian celebrity eroded and eventually shipwrecked both the preacher and his multi-million dollar platform. Now, the reason I was a little foggy on the details was probably because we moved to California from the Midwest, and in the Midwest, we had a Mars Hill of our own, a church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, that went through a somewhat similar transition with their founding pastor. You may have heard of him. His name was Rob Bell, but this is a different Mars Hill, right? This is a large church in Seattle with a very charismatic, brash, envelope-pushing founder named Mark Driscoll. Uh, Apparently, this church skyrocketed both in size and influence back in the early days of the, uh, I guess what you would call the megachurch movement in the United States. And the podcast is, I just find it fascinating. It does a really great job at not only telling the Mars Hill story, uh, but also telling the story of the rise of the megachurch and the narcissistic leaders that often come with these churches. Uh, It was just mind-boggling to hear the stories of so many different churches and so many different leaders uh, and how a lot of them are actually intertwined in a larger story. You know, the larger story being the story of the megachurch movement. Who started it all? Who influenced who? Who spoke at what conferences, which led to the information or the formation rather of new leaders? Uh, How different leaders worked together and how some were loose cannons choosing to do their own thing? And how this thread of narcissistic leadership in the church continues strong to this day. But there's another layer of the story, right? Another element that really kept me coming back each week. And that layer is something that they touched on every now and then. In the middle of telling the Mars Hill story, they're also asking a very important question, which is, how did this happen, right? How did the people of Mars Hill allow this to happen, And yes, how do we allow things like this to happen? Because this isn't just a story about Mars Hill, right? It's a story about us. It's a culture that admires, approves of, and supports charismatic and narcissistic leadership, right? Who use their brand to grow small churches into mega churches. And over time, you know, this rapid growth, which is often based on brand and not on the original message of the local church, can be a recipe for disaster. And that's really our topic for today, right? I'm going to call it transcending the herd. Uh, In this episode, we're going to talk about a few things. First, herd mentality. Next, it happens all the time. And finally, seeing things in a different light. Number one, herd mentality. So The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill is a podcast about a church. But like I said, the deeper message is a question about us. What are we okay with and what do we allow to happen uh, if, if we speak up about things or do we remain silent and simply go with the flow? As you get to know the people at Mars Hill, the people who attended the church and the people who worked for Mark Driscoll, you start to hear a theme emerge, right? People knew something wasn't right. Uh, they could feel that something was a little off, especially looking back. So in interviews, you know, they were able to identify a downward spiral and see it with 2020 vision, um, you know the the issues that were really driving the movement, but not when they were in the situation, right? Not when they were knee deep in the movement, living life in that culture. Back then, uh, there was something that kept them there. There was something that kept them from speaking up, from doing something. We right when they heard when they heard a message that was a little off base, or when they saw people treated poorly or even when some of the teachings seem to be uh, more Mark Driscoll than biblical. So what's going on here? How does this happen? Allow me to suggest herd mentality. Now, we've all heard a lot lately about herd immunity, right? Coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic, this has been one of the main focuses. The science behind herd immunity is this, according to the Mayo Clinic herd immunity occurs when a large portion of a community, known as the herd, becomes immune to the disease, making the spread of the disease from person to person unlikely. As a result, the whole community becomes protected, not just those who are immune. Interestingly enough, herd mentality is similar. It just doesn't have to do with infectious diseases. So Wikipedia describes herd mentality like this. Herd mentality, Mob mentality and pack mentality, also lesser known as gang mentality, uh, describes how people can be influenced by their peers to adopt certain behaviors on a largely emotional rather than rational basis. When individuals are affected by mob mentality, they may make different decisions than they would have individually. See the tie-in? Herd immunity is a large number of people doing the same thing and it produces a safe environment for everyone. Herd mentality is a large number of people doing the same thing, but it leads to a similarity of mind, though not necessarily safe for everyone involved. So let's look at two illustrations of herd mentality. First, the staff members at Mars Hill. So the podcast, you know, conducted numerous interviews with people who had been on staff at Mars Hill, and people who had been sort of in the inner circle of Mark Driscoll. Most of these people were able to look back and see the things that were a little off, right? They could They could look back and pinpoint where things had gone off the rails. However, at the time, they said nothing. They simply went with the flow and they overlooked certain things that concerned them. And this is the key to the idea of herd mentality that you will do things or make decisions that you would not normally make because of the environment you're in. It was a culture that produced an unhealthy herd mentality. Next is another illustration that happened very recently known as the Capitol Insurrection, right? So on January 6th, 2021, a large group of people stormed Capitol Hill and took over the Capitol building. It's often referred to as a riot but I would suggest we could look at it as a herd, right? People just acting out of herd mentality. Somehow, this group, along with thousands of other people not involved in the incident, had become part of a culture that fueled an inner desire to act out against the government. Now, this isn't new, right? This has been around for a long time. But these people, right, these people didn't attend a church with a charismatic or a narcissistic leader who riled them up and created a culture where they gave up some of their individuality. Or maybe I should say it was exactly like that. Maybe for this group of people, the internet was their church. Maybe social media was the thing that fueled the cultural changes that they brought, that they kind of bought into and eventually committed crimes for. But no matter how you look at it, herd mentality played a big role in what happened that day. Number two, it happens all the time. Now, before you start getting frustrated with me, let me explain that I'm not using the capital insurrection incident as an example because of my political beliefs, or because I'm better than that, or I'm better than the people who acted inappropriately on that day. I'm literally using this as an illustration because I can see how it happened. I can completely understand how these people got caught up in a belief system and even changed their behavior to match the rhetoric of their new culture. To bring it full circle, isn't this what we do as Christians? I mean, stereotypically, this is our process, right? We evangelize. We, uh, you know, evangelize is just a big word for getting other people to join us, right? So this brings new people into the church. Next, we indoctrinate them, right? We tell them a bunch of stuff they've never heard before. We teach them in the history of the Bible. We set expectations. We cast vision. We introduce them to the traditions of the church. They see new believers. They see new behaviors, behaviors that everyone else seems to think are normal. Things like singing songs to this being called God raising their hands at times, saying, amen, when they hear something that resonates with them, Uh, you know, going to serve events, giving money to the church, right? These are things they never did before, and they probably wouldn't do them either outside of the walls of the church. And there you have it, herd mentality. Now, this isn't something I made up, right? This is science, and it's been researched in order to prove that the phenomenon actually exists. Anyone who's anybody who's taken an entry-level psychology class has probably heard of the famous research experience done by Stanley Milgram. They're called the Milgram Shock Experiments. Now, in these experiments, participants were asked to apply an electric shock to another human being, to actually inflict pain on another person. And because they were being asked to do this by somebody in a position of authority, a large percentage of the participants followed through and administered the shock. And this was just because of the perceived authority of the person asking them to do it. So imagine, now when we start talking about herd mentality, imagine the compounded impact that a crowd would have on this scenario, right? So if you had an authority figure providing the vision and the call to action, and you were surrounded by hundreds of thousands of other people doing exactly what the authority figure was asking, you would have the perfect storm the perfect scenario for herd mentality. Interestingly enough, I found a Newsweek article uh, that was printed back in 2017, and they actually took a look back at those experiments and asked a very important question. The question was, was this a one-off, right? Was this an anomaly that just occurred a long time ago at a certain point in our history when we were less intelligent or when we were dumb? Or does this kind of behavior and this phenomenon still happen today. The article references uh, an experiment conducted in 2015 in Poland. This experiment confirms that it was not just an anomaly. In fact, their experiment was very similar to the Milgram experience, or experiments rather. And the crazy thing is that over 90% of these new, more modern participants proceeded all the way through the study to finally administer the highest level of shock to the person in question. Crazy, right? Crazy that that this happens, that this phenomenon exists to where you're willing to do something that you know is wrong, but because it's a, an authority figure or because there's a group of people saying that it's the right thing and all doing the same thing, that you give up your uh, almost your freedom of choice to make a good decision. But at the same time, it's not crazy at all, right? Because it simply reinforces a few things about us as humans. And there's four of them that I wanna talk about. The first, we crave authority. I know this sounds dumb, I know this sounds counterintuitive, but hear me out. On a subconscious level, we want to be led, we want to be guided, we want somebody else to step up and take on a large amount of responsibility so that we don't have to. Think back to a time when you were at a conference, let's say, you were sitting around round tables and the speaker up front said, I need you to pick a spokesperson for your table. Each table, pick a spokesperson. And in most situations, what happens, right? Everyone freezes. Nobody wants to be that person. And in the end, they usually have to say, okay, then because no one's uh, offering, you know, we're we're just going to pick the person, right? Whoever's birthday falls last in the calendar year, you're the person, Right? I mean, they have to force you to do it because nobody wants to do it. You crave authority, right? You crave somebody else being in that position. And you also want to fit in, which we'll talk a little bit more in a minute. So it isn't lost on me that the Bible refers to us as sheep. For those of you who have any any sense of recognition of, of the Bible and what it, you know, some of the stories and some of the allegories and all those things you know, we are often referred to as sheep. And Jesus is often referred to as the good shepherd, right? There's a phrase in the Christian culture uh, that goes something like this. We all have a God-shaped hole in our heart. Simply put, we crave authority in our lives, and God is the only authority that fits perfectly. So that's number one, we crave authority. Number two, We love having a purpose. We love having meaning, right? This goes right along with craving authority. We love it when somebody casts vision for a preferred future. When we can look down the road and we can see that we're part of something bigger than ourselves, something that we can believe in. This generation, right, the one my kids are in, has shown us that 100%. They don't just want jobs. They don't want to just make widgets from nine to five every day. They want to solve problems. They want to fix things. They want to be part of a bigger, better thing to make the world a better place. And there's always a person or an organization that's willing to offer that vision. And it runs the gamut, right? You have everything from Christianity to QAnon, and you have everything in between. Number three, we're social beings. We like to be around other people. Most of us don't like spending large amounts of time by ourselves. Yes, there are introverts, but ultimately we are social people, which means that at a very young age, we start looking around for our people, right? People who we want to be with, people who we want in our lives, people who we want to do life with. And this is why we as parents push so hard for our kids to find a good group of friends, right? Because we know that in the end, it will help shape their future. Number four, we want so badly to fit in. So not only are we social and want to be around people, but we also want to act like them so that we don't stand out. In our example above, right, about the table spokesperson, our fear is that we're going to be placed in authority and that we might mess up, that we might look dumb in front of the group. This is a huge element in creating herd mentality. So there you have it, right? Four things that can lead to herd mentality, craving authority, a desire for purpose and meaning, being social, and wanting to fit in. And you can see how these four elements are wrapped up in any movement. You know, a gang, a cult, an organization that's thriving. Both for the good and the bad, most movements have these four elements and use them very well. Don't believe me? All I had to do was ask Google, why gangs draw kids in? And here's what I found. In an article from the LAPD, they explain the motivation for joining a gang. They list identity and recognition, protection, fellowship and brotherhood, intimidation, and criminal activity. Now, notice how the first three are very similar to what we just talked about, right? Protection, right? What kind of lines up with authority, right? You want somebody above you who's protecting you, like, or in a position of authority. Next is identity, which we talked about being purpose, right? The purpose that you get from being part of the gang. Then there's fellowship, or the social aspect. And finally, you have brotherhood, which really speaks to fitting in or being accepted. Now, obviously the last two aren't really on my list, but you know, I view herd mentality as more of something we choose to be part of versus being intimidated into it. But the criminal activity part is interesting. So even in herd mentality, if the vision of the group involves being violent and you're a person that loves violent behavior, you might be drawn to this group for that reason, right? Because it's an environment in which you can blow off steam and express yourself through violence. Number three, seeing things in a different light. So at the end of the day, what am I trying to say here, right? Am I warning you about herd mentality, warning you to stay away from it altogether? No, not at all. In fact, the four things that we looked at are things that I believe God baked into us as humans, like baked right into our hearts and our minds. So if that's true, if it's who we are and herd mentality is going to happen because of it, then I'm not suggesting we remove ourselves from the herd or the herds we run with. I'm suggesting that we transcend them, that we see them for what they are, that we choose to be part of herds that are positive and headed in the right direction, and to realize that even within a herd, we have the freedom of choice. We have the right and the ability to make good choices, even if the herd is choosing poorly. But this is the catch, right? This is the hard part. And this is exactly why Satan uses herd mentality to his advantage, because he knows that our desire to fit in can be leveraged. Call it peer pressure, social norms, the cancel culture, the ought tos, the musts, the shoulds, and even the, but if you don't, something bad might happen. People might not like you, right? All of these are ways that the majority places pressure on us to give up our freedom of choice and just go with the flow. But that's the important piece. Be part of a herd or two, but don't give up your freedom of choice. Don't change your behavior in such a way as to do things that you know aren't right. I did a fair amount of research on the whole uh, capital insurrection thing. Uh, I was really looking for stories about people who felt bad, right? I wanted to see if there were stories about people who looked back and couldn't believe that they got caught up in the herd that day. And while I found nothing, very little, It could be because so many of those stories are drowned out by all the other stories. It's such a huge media event, you know, written about and posted about by so many different websites, you know, stories, stories from large media outlets that, that just push out the highlights of the violence and the inappropriate behavior, the injuries, the deaths, like all of those, you know, things that catch headlines that maybe that's why I couldn't find anything about some of the actual participants. But I believe that my stories are out there somewhere. I believe that there were people who had no intention of storming the Capitol, right? They got caught up in the herd mentality. They got caught up in the, you know, the protest and the things that were going on. And they did things that they can't believe they did when they look back. And this is the real danger, right? This is, this is the danger of getting involved in herd mentality over flashpoint controversies like politics, political ideation, religious religious intolerance, uh, among other things. So how do we do that, right? How do we determine which herds are good and which are bad? And even in a good herd, how do we ensure that we're not just along for the ride? How do we maintain our freedom of choice? Well, for me, as a Christian, the Bible is typically where I turn to look for answers. So the Bible does actually talk about herd mentality, not necessarily in those terms, but you can get there, and we'll talk about it in a minute here. So as I do with so many other things, like, you know, the Bible really speaks to the core issue in one way or the other. Uh, Jay Refsland, in an article called, Are You Living in Christ or Living the Herd Mentality?, helps us to understand. In Exodus 32, there's a story that perfectly illustrates how herd mentality can start in a good culture. So, the people of Israel were marching through the wilderness. They had witnessed many miracles, right? God had freed them from Egypt. He parted the Red Sea. He fed them when there was no food. All they had seen were these positive miraculous things. And yet, while Moses was away getting the Ten Commandments from God, the people started complaining. And someone was probably the ringleader, right? There was probably that narcissistic leader that riled everybody up, said the things that he knew everybody was thinking about, uh, and, and pushed them to the point where they were talking bad against the people, bad against Moses, and ultimately bad against God. So, you know, this outgoing and convincing type basically cast vision for doing things a new way. Pretty soon, herd mentality took over and there was a large crowd, all moving in the same direction, counter to what God wanted them to do. And unfortunately, the story ends very badly for this herd of people. Um, The author also mentions Martin Luther as a good example of the opposite situation. So Luther wasn't in a good culture. In fact, he was part of a herd that he knew was wrong. The herd in question was the Roman Catholic Church. So Luther decided that he needed to flex his muscles. He needed to exercise his freedom of choice. So he spoke out against the beliefs and the teachings that he felt were wrong. He went against the herd and ultimately paid the price. He was eventually excommunicated, which was a pretty big deal back in that day, uh, and basically removed from the church. Not only that, but his life was put in danger. Now, Martin Luther escaped death, but many of the other reformers of that day did not. They were killed, often burned at the stake for speaking out against the church. And this brings up the final point I wanted to make about herd mentality. Herd mentality is based on the majority, right? Call it majority rules, or we can also call it this thing called groupthink. And herein lies the danger. So groupthink is defined by dictionary.com as the practice of approaching problems or issues as matters that are best dealt with by consensus of a group rather than by individuals acting independently. It pushes conformity. Number two, the lack of individual creativity or a sense of personal responsibility that is sometimes characteristic of group interaction. So in an article on mindtools.com called Avoiding Groupthink, uh, the authors describe three very obvious elements of groupthink. This whole idea of the majority ruling or a group thinking for the individual. So in order to avoid this concept of groupthink, the authors describe three very obvious elements that are in place. First is a strong persuasive leader second is a high level of group cohesion and then third is intense pressure from outside the organization to make a good decision so they go they go on to offer a couple examples of this so one example is the the challenger disaster if you remember back when the um, the space shuttle challenger uh, blew up upon entering the atmosphere or leaving the atmosphere rather um, they explained that the engineers of the space shuttle knew about some of the faulty parts right, months before takeoff, but they didn't want to cause any problems or create any negative press, so they just pushed ahead with the launch anyway. The second example they give is, is the Bay of Pigs invasion. So reportedly, President Kennedy made a decision uh, to follow through with this invasion, and a lot of the people around him supported it even though they had concerns about what they were getting themselves into. So groupthink and herd mentality are very similar, right? There's this typical, like there's a strong leader involved, uh, but there's also a group consensus or a majority rules element that plays into it and gets people to go along with things uh, and may even get people to go against their conscience. So now we're getting somewhere, right? So does the Bible say that we should be part of a group or herd in order to live well, or in order to go to heaven someday? Yes and no. Gotta love that ambiguity, right? So here's why I say that. I say yes, because if we are following God the way he asks us to follow him, then we will be doing it with a bunch of other people, and that is our herd. So yes we are part of a herd. But at the same time, I would say no, because we aren't following the people in the herd, right? Each of us in the herd should be following the leader, but not just any leader, the leader, our creator, someone that we can trust with everything that we have, somebody that isn't going to mislead us. So we have nothing to fear by choosing to be part of this herd. And In this setting, we're often not the majority, because I'm not talking about modern Christianity. I'm not talking about the religious right with their political influence and power. I'm not talking about the countless megachurches with their charismatic leaders and their large flocks of attendees. No, I'm talking about the small herd of actual Jesus followers, right? People who choose not to be part of the popular herd and instead just choose to follow Jesus as best as they can. How do I know this? Well, I'll give you two reasons from the Bible. First, God said so. And if God says so, that's good enough for me. Uh, So in God's economy, the majority is irrelevant. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that we need to be doing things like everyone else. In fact, it often says the opposite, right? That we will be a small group of people, have a difficult life, that we may be persecuted for our faith. And that really the saving grace of being a Christian is having him on our side. In Matthew 7, 13 to 14, it says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Now that sounds pretty obvious to me, right? Right? Groupthink and herd mentality are based on majority. And this verse suggests that the majority is headed in the wrong direction. In fact, the minority is considered the right way, the narrow path, the hard path, the path where you choose the right thing, even when everyone else is making the opposite choice. And the second reason is in the end, God wins no matter what. All you need to do is read the final book of the Bible it explains what happens in the end. God wins. And it isn't because he's able to get the majority of us to follow him. Winning isn't based on majority in the eternal battle between God and Satan, though Satan would love for us to believe that for sure. No, God wins. End of story. Satan has no chance of winning. So his plan is to take as many of us with him as he possibly can. At the end of the day, God wins, even if none of us choose him. Let that sink in, right? That's pretty crazy when you think about it. So let's land the plane. This week, ask yourself the following questions. What herd or herds are you part of? And in these herds, do you fall for groupthink? Do you give up your freedom of choice in any way? Do you ignore your conscience in order not to ruffle feathers? And finally, what does it look like to transcend the herd? So are there things that you need to stand up for? Things that, you know, might get you kicked out of the herd? Uh, Is your conscience telling you that there's something bigger than the herd you're in and the herds you've been running with? If so, step into that this week. What does it look like for you? What does it look like to rise above the herd and choose a more transcendent path? Thank you so much for joining us again this week. As always, we would love for you to share this podcast with your friends and family. Uh, Ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts obviously goes a long way uh, in order to boost the ratings and help people find us faster. But before you go, I have some exciting news. Well, at least it's exciting to me. Uh, Back in June, I put out an episode called The Transcend Human Insider, And in this short little update, I referred to a few series that we were working on. And one of those series was called Transcendent Parenting. So I'm excited uh, to let you know that Tammy and I have recorded, basically recorded the last few episodes that we felt like we needed to get done in order to um, start running them on the show. So as soon as we finish up one or two more, we are gonna start running those on the show. Uh, It turned out to be a much larger project than we had expected but in a good way, right? We just kept finding new things to add and new topics to cover. So when it's all said and done, it's going to be a 10-week series, but we cannot wait to share it with you and hope that you will be able to use those episodes uh, to help you with your parenting. So that's it for this week. Uh, for now, have a great week. Uh, exit your group think, <laughs> and as always, keep transcending human. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. For more information, you can go to transcendhuman.com, where you'll find additional content, as well as ways to contact us and links to our social media channels. Thanks again for subscribing to the show, and we'll see you again real soon.